Coming up in this podcast, big retail projects, unemployment statistics, apartment developments, iron ore production, tourism update, private school fees, austral fisheries, and our special report on regional aviation. Welcome to Mark My Words, the weekly podcast from Business News, with Mark Pownall and Mark Beyer discussing the important business news and data stories from Western Australia. Welcome to our weekly podcast and welcome Mark Beyer, both of us back again this week. Uh, Mark, mixed news on big retail developments. Uh, Costco has a big centre coming, but Garden City's expansion has stalled and it's one of a number of delays in that sector. Absolutely uh, mixed news here. To put this in some context, we've done analysis and three to four years ago, there was a list of very big retail projects earmarked for Perth, uh, worth about $5 billion collectively. Um, Dan Wilkie has done an update on that, and it's basically stalled at about the halfway point. Um, so the AMP Capital, which owns Garden City, um, it emerged during the week that they've put their expansion on hold. Um, they had uh, construction contractors um, on site and, and They'd released all the drawings, got all the approvals, but when you know, it came to the crunch, they weren't prepared to go ahead yeah, in right. what is a soft retail market. Jeez. And it was a very similar story we got earlier in the year uh, when uh, Vicinity Centres, um, half owner of the Galleria out at Morley, um, they also got all the approvals, had everything ready to go, and then said, oh, look, the market's just not ready for these big expansions. I mean, Garden City, it was about 750 mil they were planning to spend all up there. Yeah. Gallery was about 400. Uh, Whitford City, there's been a stage one expansion out there, but the stage two expansion, no sign of that happening. Um, Westfield Sterling, um, otherwise known as Inaloo, uh, there's been talk about a big expansion there, but that's not happening. So yeah, it's a concern, and I guess an indication about how soft retail is. Yeah. On the flip side, um, as you say, it mentioned Costco. They've got site works underway out at Perth Airport already and are planning a second one down at Quinana. Yep. Um, that's a whole new concept of shopping for Perth. These are these sort of giant warehouse-style supermarkets. Yeah, that um, are going to compete with these major shopping centres, right? That's right, yes. Um, a bit like the DFO centre that's got built out at the airport. Mm. You know, a different style of shopping destination, I suppose. Um, and look, um, in the city, there's been a lot of discussion around the state of retail in the CBD. Um, uh, Tony Barlow was a very prominent retail identity. He shut down, um, I think, his last store in the CBD. And a few people in the city have been concerned about the state of uh, the industry there. Um, and yet, um, on that front, um, Dexas, big property group, they're putting through final plans for a big redevelopment of the Carillion shopping arcade. Yep. They're looking to spend about $200 million. Yeah, right, significant, um, isn't it? And that's on top of Forest Chase. You know, the redevelopment there is just about finished. Um, the Rain Square development, that's um, coming to completion. Mm. A lot of retailers moving in there. Yeah, right. So... Um, Very mixed bag, uh, isn't it? Yeah. And, you know, you know, the, I guess uh, there's been a lot of uh, noise from retailers in the city about... Uh, that the, the, the Perth City Council, City of Perth, hasn't done enough to promote shopping in the city. Um, and look, maybe that's a maybe that's a factor. But you know, they're also blaming parking. You know, and I guess that's one fair comparison that people can drive to these large shopping centres and park 
easily and for free. Can't do that in the city. Um, but, you know, that's what's changed over the last 30 years. I mean, Tony Barlow would have been around 30, 40 years, maybe longer. Um, gee, the retail scene's changed a lot, hasn't it? There's been contemporary issues around the economy, but there's more long-term issues around retail in general and competition from these regional centres. And from the internet, online yeah, shopping. Totally. Totally changed, yeah. Many parts of retail, yeah. um, including clothing. Yeah. So, you know, jury's out. I, I'm not saying they're not right in, in complaining, but I wonder if the city, if that's, you know, if that's still the city's job to try and promote traffic in somewhere. Should, should the money of all ratepayers be spent to try and assist one sector? I'm just not sure. I'm not saying they shouldn't. It's just I'm, I'm curious about that. So uh, I guess we can analyse that one as we go. And for the shopping centre owners, you know, it's a tough call for them because they need to invest to stay competitive. Yeah. Um, and yet they need, equally, they need some assurance that there's going to be sufficient demand. And with these decisions around Garden City and Galleria, clearly not enough uh, confidence. Yeah, and I, look, Mark, I, I suggest some of those decisions, like you say, four or five years ago, that, that, that was probably years of build-up in terms of working up the business case for these things. And that was all in high growth, in population, and a lot of retail got left behind because things didn't get done during the growth phase because they couldn't afford to, there weren't the workers, and it took a long time to adjust. So it's kind of, there's a bit of, mm, irony's not the right word, but it's, we've kind of come to a point where there isn't population growth. Things have stalled a bit in the economy. And I guess they just feel like, well, why put extra investment now until we see that WA is going to keep growing again? Um, now, speaking of the economy, unemployment is improving, or the unemployment rate is getting lower, albeit from quite a high point. Um, but with that comes some concern around skill shortages again. So the latest unemployment stats came out during the week. Uh, Western Australia bucked the national trend. The unemployment rate here fell by a whopping 0.5% uh, to 5.8% still above the national level because um, Western Australia for quite some time has consistently been uh, above the national unemployment rate. Nationally, yeah. it's 5.2%. I mean, the good figures um, during June, WA was in fact the only state or territory that had growth in the number of people in jobs. Yeah, okay. Uh, that was up by, what, about 14,000? So, you know, encouraging. So I think, you know, at a national level, the broad picture is that the labour market has, has stalled after a period of growth. Um, hence, there's still this view that the Reserve Bank will probably cut interest rates again to try and uh, get a bit more activity going. Pointlessly, across. some might say. <laughs> That's low right, when that low, yes. Um, on the flip side, you know, the risk is that, uh, yes, as you say, labour shortages of skilled labour might emerge again. Yeah. Uh, we had a good report uh, during the week. Uh, Peter Dyball from Pit Crew Management Consulting. He's been um, analysing very closely the WA labour market for more than a decade. Uh, Peter looks at all the big projects and goes into a real micro-analysis about exactly how many workers and what kind of workers will be needed on all the different projects. Um, he's currently saying that there's about um, 11,000 construction labourers will be needed on big WA projects by the middle of next year. Um, he says that number could go up um, to 17,000. Now, once again, to put that in context, at the peak of the last boom, he said there was about 35,000 construction labourers on big projects. Yep. So 
you know, we're a long way short of that level. Nonetheless, you know, he's seeing a very substantial pickup in demand for construction labourers. Um, equally for engineers, um, he's tipping something like a 25% increase in demand for engineers um, as all work gets done for these big projects. So, you know, iron ore um, is busy at the moment. Lithium's been busy. Um, yeah, okay. We've got a bunch of um, LNG projects um, in the works. Probably, you know, a couple of years, two to three years' time, they'll be underway. Um, so, you know, there's a real risk there against a backdrop where the East Coast infrastructure boom continues rolling on. So that's soaking up a lot of construction workers and engineers. So, you know, if we do need extra workers here in WA, they're not going to be coming from the East Coast. Um, They're not going to be coming from overseas to the extent they did in the past. So it's a, it's a, remains a concern. So they're not going to be coming, I think that's what you're saying. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) They're not going to be there. Yeah, no, fair enough, Mark. That's, uh, you know, look, I think we should all be conscious of it. Um, now, Mark, last week's podcast with Dan Wilkie and Matt McKenzie covered off on our special report on apartments. Um, and here we are a week later with some fresh news in that area. Yeah, so look, there's a couple of projects around Perth that have uh, kicked off. Uh, Norrip and Wilson, they've become one of the more active apartment developers around the city. They've got the um, Beach Shack Apartments up in Scarborough. Interesting name, certainly mm. not a beach shack. Um, Quite an impressive looking building going to be going up on the beachfront there. Um, so that end value of about $107 million. So that's you know, pretty significant development up there. Good news. And uh, Beltinus, they've got another project happening down at um, Applecross, uh, their habitat residences. That's become a real hotspot um, mm. following some planning changes. Um, it's just you know, right near Canning Bridge there. You know, the idea is that people can uh, get public transport, jump on the train and come into the city. Whether that happens remains to be seen. Um, but, you know, anyone that goes down that part of town, there's uh, quite a few big cranes on the skyline um, and it's really transformed. In fact, I mean, oh. you, you grew up there, so well, oh, I mean, you I did. would have I, seen it. I grew up in Applecross, uh, where I think the highest thing was the Raffles Hotel, I reckon, <laughs> uh, in those days. Oh, the Majestic <laughs> Hotel used to be on the on the point there, long gone. Um, but I, I was uh, down south, uh, you know, for a few days, came back on Sunday, um, and looking across the river as we crossed the Mount Henry Bridge, it's quite striking to see the high-rise developments there from that angle, uh, you know, and I guess I just don't come from that route too often or don't... I was had a moment where I had... Maybe I wasn't driving, so that was the opportunity to look rather than focus on the road, but it is. It's really noticeable. Um, and, look, I think there's going to be some some issues around traffic and, and, and overshadowing and all sorts of stuff that goes on in that area. There's, there's, there's a bit of a tr- transition period, um, but I think, you know, I was saying this to somebody the other day that... You know, 10 or 15 years ago, they talked about these nodes. There was a node, there was a triangle, triangulation of nodes in the south of the south of the river, which was at the mill point there at South Perth, there, which has sort of happened. Um, there's the bit at Canning Bridge, and then the third one was going to be at Curtin University, right at that nexus there. And, and we're seeing, we've seen South Perth sort of happen, we've seen Canning Bridge happening, and now we're about to see the curtain stuff happen. And I don't reckon I've seen planning strategy actually come to fruition as seamlessly in, in, you know, as that. So I'm actually quite impressed. 
Um, now, Mark, uh, iron ore prices and volumes uh, are important to WA. What are the latest numbers? So, listeners would be familiar. We've had this uh, more than a decade of rapid growth after some you know, huge investments in the iron ore industry. And year after year, we've seen growth in the volumes of production. Um, interesting to see the figures that just came out for the year to June. Um, it's actually a bit of a fall in production overall. Uh, the Pilbara Ports Authority, which looks after all the shipments out of Port Hedland, um, they had a small drop in total volumes mm. last year. Now, still, look, you know, 506 million tonnes, huge volumes. Yeah, um, but, but that's that, just out of Port Hedland. Which is, port, so Port Hedland and Rio are the two big ones, uh, yeah. and sorry, and Dampier are the two yeah. big ports, of course. Um, and this was primarily from BHP. They had a bit of a drop-off in their production. So, you know, a combination of, well, that famous train derailment, oh, that's right, that's right. Um, cyclones, um, some maintenance uh, work they've been doing. Um, and both BHP and Rio have both had some issues uh, with some of their mining operations. So it's just been a, um, a plateauing after a long period of rapid growth. Yeah. Um, and, in fact, they're talking about the coming year. Both of them have talked about the need to make some very big investments um, in maintenance and upgrades to sustain these higher levels of production. Yeah. Um, and of course, part of that is developing new mining pits. Um, so in a sense, that's that, that ongoing maintenance investment that will be happening year in, year out, just to maintain that very large Yeah, and they're depleting there. resources at three times the rate they were 15 years ago, so they're going to have to find new resources at three times the pace which mm. is uh, exploration, rising, new mines developing. It's a, it's a fantastic long-term story. Yeah. Um, and all with the price remaining unexpectedly high, uh, well over $100 US from recollection. Yep. Um, you know, that's, that's you know, no one budgeted for that either. So the state's and, enjoying that. And, cert- and holding at that level yeah. much longer than anybody had anticipated. Yeah, yeah. So we're uh, beneficiaries of some of the, the drama that's going on in global markets, I think. And that's also one of the part of the thinking is that BHP and Rio can look at that and say, look, we're still making very good money out of this iron ore business. Mm. So we can afford to actually sort of pull back a little bit on volume invest in the business for yep. longer term and still make very nice money for our shareholders. Yeah, 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 right. Interesting. Uh, now, Mark, uh, tourism is a much smaller sector than iron ore, um, but it's still seen as a very important economic diversity piece. What's been happening there? And it's an area the state government has been focusing on. Um, it had been, WA had been underperforming the rest of the country um, in a very substantial way. So there's been a big focus on tourism marketing um, and part of that is around events you know I think every major city is trying to attract big events to uh, lure the visitors and mm. of course we've just had Manchester United in town for the last week and a half two big matches out at Optus Stadium um, they got up what 155,000 at the Man U versus Leeds match mm. you know huge crowds and you know all the indications are that quite a lot of people came from elsewhere to uh, to view that and that's borne out by the latest stats so um, about growth um, this is year to March um, we had about 1.7 million interstate visitors up quite strongly um, that includes of holiday makers they're up about 11 percent um, and spending by them is up as well yeah right so very encouraging signs 
Um, on the other side, international visitors, uh, that's still a bit soft. The, the numbers there fell, both in terms of number of visitors and their spending. Yeah. Now, I guess we need to be cautious here because these visitor numbers include business travel as well as leisure travel, um, and of course the other big segment, international students. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, you know, my, my intel's coming is that, that you know, that there's a bit of credit going to the state government about how it's been targeting uh, advertising, um, that it's been a lot more coordinated with the national approach and the Tourism Australia. So those international visitor numbers, yes, they were down, but if you look at international tourists, they were up. And there's sort of a little bit of credit going to them. They've really piggybacked much better on the on the national spend. Um, and then I guess with the state, interstate stuff, I suspect there's been a similar kind of, you know, a, probably a little bit better effort put into it. But maybe, you know, WA's back on the radar. Who knows? <laughs> Hope so. <laughs> Be quite nice, wouldn't it? And the one thing, I guess a note of caution, we never get to see how much is spent luring teams like Manchester United to come to Perth. Yeah. Um, you know, and yeah. and so, you know, WA is competing with other states for the, those sorts of big attractions, everything from, you know, big tennis tournaments to Formula One racing cars to uh, to big soccer teams. Yeah. Um, we have to trust that it's a, a, a smart amount of money going into that. A smart amount. I like that. <laughs> I like that. Um now, Mark, we've been doing a bit of stuff on education lately, uh, and look, this might sound like the statistics edition of the podcast, but uh, I see we've been looking at private school fees. What's been happening there? <laughs> so there's a report that comes out and looks at uh, school fees across the whole private sector. Um, WA, the growth in fees is actually lower than just about every other state. Um, nationally, fees went up on average by about 3%. Um, WA, it was about half that level. Mm. So, you know, maybe an indication that, uh, that that schools here have had to be a bit more cautious about uh, adding extra costs um, onto families. Um, nonetheless, um, you know, if you want to send your kids to one of the top private schools, uh, Presbyterian Ladies College is, uh, now holds the mantle as the most expensive school in right. Perth. What are we talking? Twenty eight thousand. Uh, Twenty nine thousand for go. Year Twelve students. Yeah. So, um, and just behind that, uh, Christchurch, Scotch, um, Methodist Ladies College, all around to twenty eight thousand or a bit above. Yeah. Um, so some some serious money there. Yeah. Um, a big investment. Um, I've just come through the end of that process. <laughs> You're getting towards the end of it. Yeah, yeah look, uh, interesting. And, and uh, look, I've spoken to many people in the school sector. I mean, we've done a bit of stuff around education and I've been talking to lots of principals and the like. Uh, it's certainly tough out there. And in the middle of the boom, they had waiting lists that were, you know, they probably could have had two schools going in, in some cases with the number of people waiting to get in. Uh, they could charge people for just being on the waiting list. And, you know, these days they're cutting back. Some some uh, schools have cut back on staff. Uh, you know, they just cut, they haven't got the, the numbers in some areas and they certainly don't have the waiting lists. Uh, and some of the schools that are priced below some of the ones you're talking there are doing a lot better because people are, you know, they have to make difficult decisions. So, yeah, it's pretty fascinating times out there. But look, in the end, like you say, whole, those really prestigious schools can hold their ground to a degree. 
and uh, talking to people when they're making decisions about going east or whatever, well, the schools here are still largely cheaper than if you want to go to Melbourne or Sydney. So, you know, in that consideration of moving and relocating, you know, you're talking, if you've got a couple of children, you're talking tens of thousands of dollars in extra cost if you move interstate. So, you know, there's some advantages there. And thinking about the competition and my personal experience, I mean, my three children started off at private schools. Um, they all ended up at government schools and we ended up, we were very happy with, the, with what they got at their government schools. Now, once again, I'm sure there's lots of variation across yeah. government schools, but uh, we were very happy with what panned out there. So Yeah, and I guess that, depend, that depends on your location and, and what you expect from education and how your children can handle it. So I think it's a fascinating area, and we're going to explore that more and more over the year and, uh, and you know, under your guidance, Mark, and, uh, and uh, I think it's a, it's a really interesting field. Um, now, Mark, we had Austral Fisheries CEO David Carter as our guest on stage this week. Uh, what did you glean from the story that Jordan Murray wrote? Yeah, look, David Carter's had a really interesting career. Um, uh, he's been a, a, a he's had one employer for his forty-year career. He started off as a deckhand. Um, yeah, fascinating story. Came from Melbourne, ended up on a boat up in Darwin. Now he's chief executive of the company. Um, and Austral, I mean, it, it's grown to be an industry leader. Um, it's a very substantial business based here in Perth. Um, at a global level, I think they're renowned for the practices that they've employed and the whole sort of sustainability focus that what they've got there. Yeah. Um, I thought, yeah, a really impressive business and a great story. Yeah, look, and, and look, and Mark, I did the interview on stage, as you know, and uh, I've dealt with David many times over the years, but he is an interesting character. And, uh, you know, like, I think he's a really true leader. He, he just, he obviously forms a philosophical position about where the company should be going and, and is willing to make a business case around it. Um, he talks a lot about fishing being in property rights. You know, you, you, you've got a, an asset, which is, a, you know, the right to fish an area. And if you, if you don't get that right, you've got a big problem, you know. So they've really pushed the, the envelope in terms of uh, pushing the sustainability angle. They're trying to be carbon neutral. I mean, they're growing trees to be carbon neutral. They've done, uh, they've worked in, closely worked with Sea Shepherd, you know, the enemy of fishing and whaling around the world. Uh, they've done stuff in, they're in the blockchain, experimenting in blockchain because they want to prove where the fish come from. It's sustainable and when it sells somewhere over in the world, they want, to, they want the provenance of that to be, uh, you know, be accurate um, because otherwise their brands are worth much less. So it's a pretty fascinating story and he's a real leader in that field. Um, Mark, our special report this week is on regional aviation, uh, which has been a very dynamic sector in WA. Yeah, well, look, I've done this uh, report and I found it really fascinating to dig deep into what's going on in that sector. Um, so regional aviation in WA is, is very different from just about anywhere else in the world. Uh, one, you know, the size of our state and the low population density. Um, uh, many routes are dominated by fly-in, fly-out work. Um, that's obviously a, a huge industry. Um, but for, for leisure travel and private business people, um, for many places, there are very few options out there. Yeah. The other thing is that regional aviation in WA almost exclusively is back and forth from Perth. Yeah. 
there are very few options for flying between cities. So there's a great story that we're talking about in this feature, um, Aviair, that's a business based up in the Kimberley. They're launching an um, interregional service or network within the Pilbara and the Kimberley. So if you want to fly from Caratha to Newman, for instance, in the past, generally, you either get a charter flight, which can be expensive, mm. especially if you're on your own, um, or you jump in a car and drive, which takes a long time, or you actually fly all the way back down to Perth and then back up again, yeah, right. which is crazy. Yep. So this is a really significant development for the region. Uh, this was announced at a um, developing Northern Australia conference um, recently, and the room erupted into applause um, when this was announced. So yeah, for people up in the region, very significant development. Um, so Aviair, they're a great little business. They've got about 30 aircraft, primarily do charter work and uh, tourism flights. So moving into or expanding their sort of scheduled passenger service is a big step for them. They've partnered with a few other people, um, the city of Caratha and the Shire of East Pilbara and Rio Tinto are actually contributing to this to, to subsidise it and make it sustainable. Mm. And that's actually something that happens quite a lot. So in other regional routes, um, one airline that's actually had a lot of success is ASX company Regional Express. They've got a model that they employ around the country where they partner with local councils, which typically own the local airport, um, to, in a way to actually have more frequent services, have more affordable services. Um, so, you know, it's an area where the pure market, I guess, has been shown there are some real shortcomings in what the market can deliver. Yeah, no, given, fair enough. Well, it's remote, it's expensive, it's yeah. difficult. It's funny, so, Mark. I, look, you know, this is a, a funny linkage between the last thing we're talking about. But when I was a kid, my dad had prawn trawlers up north, which was a bit of a joke on stage when we were talking with David Carter, because you know I'd been up and on prawn trawlers in the in the Gulf Carpentaria when he was working up there, and uh, you know, as a young fella, to get up there and back, it was effectively a milk run. You flew from Darwin to Kununurra to Derby to Broome or, you know, one of those from Recollection and then down to Caratha and, you know, there was, it, was, it took a, a, la, a long time to get home. And I guess that's how the, that service, those centres were serviced, by you could jump on parts of that route. So um, that all evaporated over the last 20, 30 years and it became these, you're right, hubbing out of Perth. So big change, very interesting to see it sort of revert or change in a different way. Mm. And some big changes in who's who in the industry. So you know, Air North out of Darwin, they've got a growing profile. Um, Sky West, privately owned by Stan Quinlivan, um, they've actually got a bit shrinking, if anything. Um, Qantas and Virgin have a big regional presence. So um, a lot going on there. Really Brilliant. interesting. All right, look forward to reading more of that. Thanks, Mark. Uh, join us for breakfast at the Hyatt on July 31 when Rita Safiotti, Minister for Transport and Planning, discusses the opportunities and challenges that come from an unprecedented infrastructure spending commitment where she is making plans that will impact Perth and our region for decades to come. I look forward to seeing you there. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Mark My Words with Mark Powell and Mark Bayer from Business News. For more information, please go to businessnews.com.au forward slash podcasts And to receive these regularly, search for Business News WA in iTunes or SoundCloud.